Good morning. As Ray's talked about this morning, we're starting this season, the, the beginning of the church year in anticipation and hope. And this song, Mary's prophetic song, the Magnificat, is actually the climax of the birth narrative that we often hear, that we do hear in Luke. But if we think about it, and think about what our images of Mary are, and what our images that we see in television and arts, and this song of Mary comes as a great contrast to those images, those images of sweetness and light. Luke actually places a revolutionary manifesto in her mouth. The poor will be filled and the rich will have to make their own living. The powerful of the world will lose their power because they have abused it. Impoverished people will become God's own children. It is a gospel lesson of lifting up the lives of the poor in the midst of the powerful. And as Luke explains, we hear the story that God chose a slave girl, Mary, to be the mother of Jesus. God didn't choose a queen. God didn't choose a wealthy woman. God chose a young girl from what we would consider a developing country, a girl with dark skin and dark hair and dark eyes. She was the one to be chosen to be the mother of Jesus. Oftentimes we hear people referring to Mary as a handmaiden, and the word handmaiden sounds kind of lovely, but actually the Greek word is doulos, which means slave or servant. Mary was a servant girl. But over time, Mary became the ideal of the eternal femininity. Renaissance artists, if you see which are absolutely beautiful and stunning, and I love them, but Renaissance artists always dressed Mary in this brocade or silk, these beautiful linens and rich colors of the rainbow, vibrant red or rich blue with gold trim, deep green against her perfect pale skin, her hair always beautifully plaited in perfect curls around her head, the nails of her hands perfectly manicured. She is completely serene and patiently composed. Christmas carols that we'll hear during the season, which I, again, I love. Sing of gentle Mary, meek and mild, and lady, pure and white. Again, it's hard to remember that she was an adolescent when all this, adolescent when all this took place. And she was most likely quite poor, so she did not have those manicured nails. And she did not have a good hairstylist. If you look at the, of, of what we see as, as powerful women today, especially women in the arts, like look at Taylor, a young Taylor Swift, or a Selena Gomez, or a Beyonce. They're such beautiful and talented singers wearing glamorous clothes with lion's mane hair. And they confidently command the stage, reflecting power of young womanhood in a way that the Renaissance artists could never have imagined as images for the Holy Mother of Jesus. But agreeing to mother a child while unmarried in a very conservative society, journeying on a donkey to a far-off city, giving birth in a stable, and then immediately immigrating to a foreign country is not for the delicate or faint-hearted. So perhaps if we can separate 
what Renaissance artists and Christmas carols tell us from Mary, who calls it to us from the Bible, we might come a little bit closer to understanding her. Instead of a meek and mild young woman awaiting the holy birth of a cuddly savior, the Magnificat calls forth images of Che Guevara's first lieutenant or a young Palestinian woman ready for action. It calls to memory the voices of the mothers of the disappeared in Argentina and Chile and Colombia and Peru who marched each week carrying photos in order to draw worldwide attention to their loved ones killed by military troops in those countries. Theirs was the only witness to the tyranny of the junta, the only advocates for justice for the disappeared. Many of these women stood alone in town squares, often harassed by the military, sometimes martyred for speaking truth to power. U2's Bono wrote of their plight in his song, Mothers of the Disappeared, when he sang, Midnight, our sons and daughters were cut down and taken from us. We hear their heartbeat. In the wind, we hear their laughter. In the rain, we see their tears. We hear their heartbeat. Stretched over, like over black and blue, the night hangs like a prisoner, and we still hear their heartbeat. In the trees, our sons stand naked. Through the walls, our daughters cry. We hear the heartbeat, hear their heartbeat. In their witness, we hear the voice of Rachel lamenting for her children who suffer from whims of those who wield power and determine the political agenda. Mary's voice echoes the cries of women who came before her and the cries of those who will come after her. Wherever women weep for a better world for their children, we hear Mary's Magnificat and we remember the poor, the war-worn, the homeless, and grieving mothers of the world who desire a new day of justice for their children. The claim of the song is heightened by its grasp of the future rather than its hold on the past. It speaks as if these things are already happening. There is a strong intention to contrast the actual reality of existence and the justice that will come with God. God gives us hope for a just future and it is beginning right now. It is already growing in the womb of faith, in the belly of hope, in the sprouting seed of new life. How do we prepare the way for the birth of love and justice in our own lives and in the life of the world? In the first place, we must wait impatiently in anticipation. And we know that as Ray said this morning, anticipation can sometimes be exciting, but it can also be scary and uncertain. But we wait. We wait in the faith that God is working mysteriously in the events of human history. And as we wait, we live in hope, remembering that God can turn everything upside down, inside out and around again, disrupting the plans of rulers and the powers that be by making inconvenient demands on us and on the order of the world. Have you ever heard the morning cry of a baby when they were actually first born? It's one of the strongest cries you'll ever hear. And it's one of the most beautiful 
and also one of the most awful sounds in the world. At once, it's filled with an urgency, it's insistent, this insistent power of new life, an equally urgent demand for satisfaction and immediate attention. The first demanding cry tells parents that everything they know will be turned upside down. It warns them that they are in, the, in for the biggest change of their lives, a reversal of life as they once knew it. Their house, their eating habits, their ability to sleep, to be awake, to work, and even to love will all be changed when the baby goes home with them. When the baby comes, the real birthing begins. And in this time of anticipation and hope, we also have to remember, as Thomas Merton warned, that we must not strive to keep an atmosphere of unrealistic optimism by the suppression of tragic realities that continue to happen around us. He spoke of the anguished seriousness of Advent. Advent is about waiting in the darkness of a time for a birth of justice. We are participating in the birth of one who will bring an upheaval of the unexpected, a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, praise instead of a faint spirit. We are waiting for the birth of one who brings good tidings to the afflicted and binds up the wounds of the brokenhearted. But Advent does not pull us out of the world to wrap ourselves in the warm fuzzies of Christmas. It is not an antiseptic birth of a cute little child. Advent asks tough stuff from us, asks that we anticipate that the birth of justice and love will turn our lives upside down and inside out. We will not be placated by simplistic promises. We are yearning for peace, longing for justice, and incomplete without them. During this Advent season, we can pray for a world without war and demand that our leaders and lawmakers and our government wage peace. In Advent, we can hold our leaders accountable for statements of hate, which threaten to undermine the fragile communion between people, no matter their race, sexual orientation, background, or beliefs. In Advent, we dream about the way the world would look if things were reversed, and the rich became generous, and the poor were filled. We can dare to imagine that it could happen because we affirm God is being born again in the womb of human suffering, but it is a God who is disruptive, inconvenient, and messy in demanding justice and mercy, causing us to rethink our priorities and the way we live. Perhaps what I'm saying can make us all a little uneasy, and I know I feel a little uneasy because when we think about Advent and the coming of Christmas, I think about the Christmas carols and the hymns and everything is light. But sometimes I think what tugs at us is some of the melancholy of Christmas as Annie and we will worship together on the 21st. Because maybe there's a part of us that still doesn't believe that our world can really change for the better. We don't really believe that the story of the birth of Jesus could make any difference to us moderns, to assuage our, our fears and worries. Mary's song anticipates the message of Jesus. Through her song, 
Luke is signaling the vision of worldwide justice at the long-expected arrival of a savior. And let us listen to those words. Let us listen to that song. Mary sings of justice for the poor as Rachel wails for the children of exile, the refugees and the homeless that still live in our midst and at our edges. But we do not end here. This year, especially I'm so tempted because I lost my mother this year, so I'm so tempted to recreate the Christmas of my childhood, of what I thought were just innocent and pure days, but of course, they weren't always. But in my heart, I want to go back and be that six-year-old child again. But I can't do that. I think about the joy that my mother brought to our lives and the birth that she gave to all of us, my three sisters and I. So I want to think how scary birth can be and what the young child Mary must have been going through. So I want to celebrate not just the joy of this, but celebrate the difficulty that birth is, a terrifying journey from darkness to life. And this is Christ coming. This year is a call to reversal and renewal, a call to transform the world. T.S. Eliot wrote that the faith, the hope, and the love are all in the waiting. That's kind of a half-truth, I think. We wait, but while we wait, we also work for justice and love. We surrender to the mystery of what God is doing in the world, but in the meantime, we work and we witness to the hope that one day the human commonwealth will be governed by compassion and justice, and all mothers will welcome their sons and daughters into a world where they will be wrapped in love instead of hate, peace instead of war, freedom rather than tyranny, abundance rather than scarcity. Mary's magnificence actually shatters the sentimental vision of what we have of her, of innocent children safe in the arms of perfectly placid mothers. Mary's song challenges us to stand at the place where human dreams have been tragically shattered. This Sunday we dedicate once again ourselves to the task of raising our children in love, to work for justice through the act of baptism. We are all meant to be mothers, all of us, men and women. We are all meant to be mothers to the children of the world, and we are called upon to give birth to the vision of a whole and healed world. Meister Eckhart, the medieval mystic and theologian, wrote that we are all meant to be mothers of God. What good is it to me, he continues, if this birth of the divine son takes place unceasingly but does not take place in myself? What good is it to me if Mary is full of grace, but I am not? What good is it to me for the Creator to give birth if I do not also give birth to Him in my time and my culture? This is the fullness of time when the Son of God is begotten in all of us. Mary's song sings to us from the pages of the scripture, it is not yet realized but it is being born among us still. Mary, Mary has planted her feet with us, singing in solidarity with all pregnant teenagers, with mothers birthing their children in the humblest, humblest of circumstances, 
with women and men who cling stubbornly to the hope of a new day. Hear the heartbeat of that new day. It is faint, but it is steady, like the heartbeat of a babe in the womb. It awaits the affirming echo of our own heartbeat. Amen. Yeah.